Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. I am so excited to be continuing our series in the book of James. So if you have a Bible today, turn to James chapter 1. We're week three of this series. James chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 18 today. And if you don't have a Bible, you have a smartphone, and uh, you can uh, download the Version Bible app, and at the very bottom, you'll see a More tab, then you'll see an Events tab, you'll see Awaken Church Live, click on that, and you'll be able to take notes, follow along with outlines, see all the verses as well. Love for you to follow along that way. But just to kind of catch us up to speed, James so far has been talking about trials. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about trials and how trials are used, are, are an invitation for us to trust in God, that God can use the trials in our life to grow us. Uh, But then we've talked about how he says this weird phrase in all of this, that we can count it all joy. Like that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. How can we count it all joy when we're in the midst of a trial? Because the reality is trials often reveal to us that we aren't in control of anything, that we're out of control. And trials wake us up to the fact that we need wisdom. That we need wisdom from God when we're in the midst of trials. But today we're going to be kind of switching gears a little bit because today we're going to be talking about temptation. This week as I was preparing the message, I was like, well, I don't know if I'm talking to the right group of people here. So just as a exercise, crowd participation here, all I'm going to ask you to do is raise your hand to three basic questions. How many of you have ever been tempted before? Raise your hands. Yep. Some of you are being tempted to not participate, okay, right there. Uh, how many of you have given in to that temptation before, right? How many of you have given into that temptation more times than you would like to count, think, or imagine, right? Uh, that's, that's good to know that I'm not the only one who struggles with temptation. And the whole point of crowd participation and us doing that is I wanted to illustrate to you that I'm not the only one who struggles with this. It's not just a few people who struggle with this. It's not just a few people in a small group and all of that. No, we all struggle with temptation, In fact, this week I found a video that I think really highlights what temptation can look like in our lives. So we'll play that video. You can have fruit snacks, but you can't have them right now, okay? You gotta wait. You gotta wait until mommy and daddy come back, okay? You can't eat these yet. You gotta wait until we come back. I'm gonna leave them right here. Don't touch them. Wait, okay? We're gonna come back. Don't eat them yet. Don't eat them. We'll be right back. We just gotta go get something. Just go, just wait a I think that video perfectly illustrates what temptation can look like in our lives, right? I think that's perfectly it. Now, I'm not saying that when we fall into temptation or when, when uh, we're faced with temptation, God's not like, oh, look how cute it is that you're falling into sin and you're, you're going into temptation. No, those boys are cute. That's a funny video, but that's not at all what I'm trying to get across because the reality is that video illustrates that we have specific commands, things that we're to do, what we're not supposed to do, that there are things in our lives where God's like, hey, don't do this. Don't touch that. I'm coming back. And what do we do? We look at that temptation in front of us 
And we keep looking at it and we keep staring at it. We know we shouldn't touch it. We know we shouldn't take part in it. Some of us, we like to maybe smell the gummies like those boys didn't do it, but that might be what we do. We might take a lick out of those gummies. Like for a lot of us, we like to see how close we can get to the line of sin without completely falling over. Some of us, we're like those boys. We just go all in when it comes to temptation. But temptation tries to deceive us. It tries to draw us in. It tries to make us do sinful and foolish things. And ultimately, at the end of the day, what temptation wants to do is it wants to lead us to death and destruction. So James gives us some words on how to fight temptation. In fact, that's the title of today's message, Fighting Temptation. What does James say about it? Well, starting in verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when he is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James, in these verses, he's kind of giving us a peek behind. He's kind of letting us see a little bit behind the curtain of how temptation works. And he wants us to understand what's going on whenever we experience temptation. Because the better you understand temptation, the more you will know how to fight that temptation. And so James, in these section of verses, walks us through four ways that we can fight temptation. And the first one is this. We have to recognize what it is and what it is not. We have to recognize what temptation for what it is and what it is not. Again, if you want to draw your attention to verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And then in verse 13, he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. In verses 12 and 13, we see two different words. We see trials and we see temptations. Trials, as we've talked about, are things that we all experience. Trials are things that we face outside of us. They're sometimes out of our control. And we know that God will sometimes allow trials into our lives for a purpose. Again, he uses trial to give us endurance, to give us strength, to give us that staying power that we've talked about for what's ahead. And James says that if we endure these trials, we will receive the crown of life. Now, what's he talking about when he's talking about the crown of life? Is he talking about like a crown like a king or queen would wear? Like if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, is it the crown that Aragon wears at the end of the third movie? And don't be like, oh, I was going to watch that this weekend. No, okay. You had time. The power's been out. You know, you could have watched it on your phone, you know, but you didn't. So, you know, is it the fact that he got the crown at the end? Is that, what, is that what James is talking about? That's not at all what he's talking about. He's talking about a laurel wreath, 
a crown that would be placed, a flowery kind of crown that would be placed on an athlete's head, on a runner who ran the race. And when he ran that race and he won that race, he would receive this laurel wreath. The picture that James wants us to see is that we are going to get a crown at the end of time. But to get that crown, we have to run our race. We have to endure the things in this life. And when this life is over, we will get the crown, spending all of eternity with Jesus. So God uses trials for our good, for our growth, and for his glory. But the purpose of temptation is the opposite of that. The purpose of temptation is to try to get us to pursue evil. Temptation is the opportunities to choose something other than God. If you want a definition for what temptation is, temptation is rooted in the lie that something other than God can meet my needs or bring me satisfaction. Temptation is a lie that God is not that good and my sin is not that bad. And while trials are something that we face on the outside, they're external. Temptation is something that we face on the inside. It's internal. Listen, God may be the source of your trials, but he is never the source of our temptation. And that's what verse 13 is all about. James here in verse 13 has given us a little theology of God here. What God is like, who God is. He's just telling us, hey, there's not a tiny ounce of evil in our God. God is pure in every way. And because of that, he cannot tempt anyone. God never tries to trip you up. God never tries to seduce you to do something that he hates like sin. God and sin cannot exist in the same room. God is pure in every way. But just like trials, temptation is experienced by everyone. It's interesting to me because in verse two, he kind of says, hey, when you fall into trials, right? Like this is, everybody's gonna do it. In a way, he kind of mimics how he intros temptation here in verse 13. He's like, when he is tempted, when you are tempted. James doesn't say, well, if this happens to, to come into your life. James doesn't say, hey, if you happen to be one of those particularly weak Christians, who seems to fall into temptation, experience temptation. He says, no, across the board, when you experience temptation, we will all face it. The, the reason why is because we live in a broken world. We live in a sinful world. And one of the, the, the things in this world that we will face is temptation. You and I have opportunities every single day to choose something other than God. So the reality is we shouldn't pretend that we don't struggle with temptation. We need to be honest about it. But if that's the case, then why do we like to pretend that we don't struggle with anything? Why aren't we honest about the things that we struggle with, with the temptation that we face? Some of us, were like, I'm just going to kind of raise my hand because everybody else seems to be doing it. You know, like, uh, you know, we don't, we don't like to admit that we struggle with anything. I've been in groups before where I'm like in it and some guy's like, well, you know what? I don't struggle with anything. And it's like, wow, how can I be like you when I grow up? Like, <laughs> we all struggle with temptation. Why does it feel like we need to hide from the fact that we face temptation? The reality is all you needed to do was look around the room for just a minute and you'll see that we all struggle with it. You are not alone. Listen, we're, we're not going to think less of you because of your temptation. 
If you come and you're like, you come to one of us and you're like, hey, I got to be honest with my group this week. I got to be honest with somebody on my ministry team, some like one of the pastors here. I got to be honest with somebody about the temptations I'm facing. We're not going to look at you and go, wow. We all struggle with temptation. The more that you're honest about it, guess what? There's going to be other people who go, guess what? I struggle with that too. This is how the Lord has helped me in this. This is how the Lord has used this. This is how I've fought through this. There's health when we're honest about the temptation that we face. But if you're here today and you're like, man, I genuinely don't struggle with anything. I don't feel like I'm tempted at all. Well, that could be an indication that the Holy Spirit's not inside of you. Pointing those things out in your life. Temptation isn't sinful. It leads to sin, but temptation is not a sin. Even Jesus was tempted. The way he fought temptation, though, was with the word of God. And so the way we fight temptation is knowing what it is and what it isn't. And when we find ourselves in the midst of temptation, we don't fight temptation on our own. Like, here we go, let's go. We fight it with the word of God. And so we all will experience temptation. And we need to know what temptation uh, does and what it is and what it isn't. And we need to know that temptation doesn't come from God. The second truth is this. We have to take responsibility for it. We have to take responsibility for it. So if temptation doesn't come from God, the question is, well, where does it come from? Well, James tells us in verse 14, he says, from our own desires. Again, look at what he says in verse 14. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The primary source of temptation is not outside of us. It's inside of us. The greatest source of temptation is the person that we see in the mirror every single day. And the reason is, is because we have a sinful flesh. We have a sinful heart. I love what Paul even says in Romans chapter seven. He's talking about this war going on inside of us, that we have a spirit, that we really wanna do what's good, but it's at war with our flesh. In fact, it even says, I'm sold into slavery with sin as my master. I know what to do, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing that I hate. He's talking about this constant battle going on inside of us. I know what's right. I know what I should do, but I don't do it. I do the thing that I hate. It's a war inside of us. You have a sinful flesh that draws you into a life of sin. James, or, or Jeremiah, even chapter 17, says that we have a deceitful heart that our heart deceives us, that we deceive ourselves, which is counter to what our culture would say, right? Our culture says, hey, why don't you just follow your heart? Sounds nice, but it's not the truth. It's not what the Bible says. It says that our heart is deceitful. We shouldn't follow our heart. No one lies to you more than you. And so we need to take responsibility. It's not somebody else's problem. It's mine because it's coming from within by his own desire. But what do we do naturally when we're walking down this path of temptation and we find ourselves falling into sin? Well, we want to blame someone or something else, right? This isn't something new. This is something that we see all the way back. You just need to go to the very beginning chapters of Genesis and what you see is Adam and Eve. And the very temptation, the, the first temptation that we read about, what do we see? Blame shifting. We see Adam, he goes, uh, hey, God, it's the wife that you gave me. It's her fault. Don't we do that? We fall into sin. We fall into temptation. We go, hey, well, it's my spouse's fault. It's not my fault. 
We fall in sin, temptation. What do we say? Well, the devil made me do it. Isn't that what Adam said? Or Eve said, rather? Ah, the serpent, he tempted me. He did it. I like to, to, to blame our DNA, our, uh, this is how I'm hardwired. Well, it's my situation or my circumstance. Or we like to go, well, you know what? Uh, we do the very, the very thing James is telling us not to do. And we point the finger and we go, well, it's God's fault. God made me like this. God made me do it. He put me in this situation. He gave me this weakness. You need to stop blaming someone or something when you fall into sin. Because the reality is, it's not your parents' fault. It's not your peers' fault. It's not your circumstances' fault. It's not even God's fault. It's your fault. And at the end of the day, we have to take responsibility because a victim mindset is a losing mindset. Practically, I was reminded of this this week. Many of you know I have three boys. And having three boys, the house can get very messy very quickly. You know, there's times where I go upstairs where their room is and uh, I see the hallway and the rooms and it looks like a toy bomb just went off, you know? I'm walking up there with bare feet and I step on Legos and that really hurts. And I'm led into temptation to say some things, but I try not to say those things, you know? And so I see it and it's like clothes hanging off the door and clothes on the window, you know? It's like remnants of what forts used to look with all the couch pillows, you know? It looks like just a bomb went off upstairs. I'm like, all right, guys. It's time to clean up. And you know what they do? It's not my problem. I don't need to clean it up. That's Brody's fault. That's Asher's fault. That's Dawson's fault. I cleaned up my mess. I did what I needed to do. And you know what that made me realize today? Or this week, rather? I realized that I might have a clean house. Their dad has a clean house. But the reality is their dad has a very messy heart. Because sometimes I don't take responsibility for my own sin, my own actions. The reality is a lot of us, we might have a clean house, but we've got messy hearts. We need to take responsibility for our actions. Charles Spurgeon, a preacher, long, long, long time ago, he said something very interesting about this. He said, beware of no man more than yourself. We carry our own worst enemies within us. See, if you're willing to be real today, like I've had to be real this entire week as I've studied for this message. We can't blame shift. Nate Wittick is his own worst enemy. You are your own worst enemy. But this is a good place to be because when we go, man, I am that bad, it shows us our need for Jesus. When I realize how bad I am and I realize how good God is, that gets me on my face every single day and go, God, I need you. I'm not going to act like some perfect guy who's got it all together, who doesn't struggle with temptation. I get, I get down on my face every day and I go, man, I am so sinful and wicked apart from you. And when you understand how bad things really are, it should drive you to the one who's good. So we need to take responsibility and deal with temptation. James has got a little bit more bad news for us before he gets to the good news. And so the next thing he has to say is we have to realize how temptation works and where it leads. We have to realize how it works and where it leads. So often, I think we see sin as the single act. What James is showing us is it's actually a process. See, no one starts Googling AA meetings the first time they have a sip of alcohol in college. 
No one on their happiest day, their wedding day, standing at the altar in front of friends and family, in front of their bridesmaids and groomsmen, nobody on their wedding day has their divorce lawyers on speed dial. That affair that you find yourself in on social media didn't start as a full-blown affair. It started as a like. It started as a follow. It started as a comment. And then it led into the secretive and sinful thing. It's a path that's gradual. It's not all of a sudden, and it's not as random as it may seem. And as people walk down this path, they ask themselves this question when they find themselves at the end of it, they ask themselves this question, how did I get here? How did I get this far? How did I get to the place where I'm at today? And the answer is one step at a time. And James lays out those steps for us on how we got to the place where we are. In fact, look at what he says, starting in verse 14. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. It starts with a desire, continues with deception. The result is disobedience, and it ends in death. So it starts with a desire. A desire is not bad in and of itself. Like today after church, I desire some food. I'm going to be hungry today. God designed our bodies to need food, right? Food is fuel for our bodies. We need it. Food in and of itself is not a bad thing, but it can become a bad thing if we become gluttonous, right? Like if all I do is think about and worship food and, and, and eat too much of the food and not eat enough healthy food and all this other stuff, if I just end up worshiping food, what does that make me? A glutton. Food in and of itself is not bad. Gluttony is a sin. Today, I hope to get some really good sleep. I need some sleep. I hope the power comes on and I can get some good sleep, right? Like I need a good night's rest. Sleep in and of itself is not bad. Again, God created our bodies. We need sleep. Sleep is not bad, but it can get to a bad place if we become lazy. The Bible tells us laziness is a sin. So it starts with the desire, but then it moves to deception. Look at what it says in verse 14. He says, to be lured away and enticed. This week, as I was looking at that phrase, lured away and enticed, what I found was that James, he's kind of using a fishing uh, analogy here, an illustration of how a fisherman will bait fish with his lure. Now, I grew up in the desert, and so I didn't do a whole lot of fishing. There's a few lakes in New Mexico, but uh, the lakes there are more what I think would be considered ponds here. But, you know, I went a couple of times with my grandpa, and he taught me how to fish. He taught me some of those things. None of it stuck because I was too young, but I do know one thing about fishing, and that is uh, that a lure catches the attention of a fish. So if you're trying to catch a bass or a trout or a salmon or whatever fish that it is, you're going to get a lure that looks good to that hungry fish. And that hungry fish will see that lure, and they are going to think, wow, yeah, jackpot. I'm going to eat good today, man. I can't wait to tell all my fishy friends about this meal that I'm about to have. And when this hungry fish goes and he chomps down on that lure, what he thinks is going to be this amazing meal, everything he needs, everything he wants, everything that he desires, what he doesn't see are the hooks. That fish saw something that looked good. 
that was going to satisfy him, that was going to be everything he needed, but he didn't see beyond the bait to the hook that was going to kill him. No fish wakes up going, I can't wait to be somebody's food. This doesn't happen. In our lives right now, we're chasing things that look really good. It looks like everything we need, everything we want, but you have no idea because as soon as you bite down on that lure, you are hooked and it's not promised to be what it's supposed to be. So step one is a desire. Step two is deception. And step three is disobedience. When we jump on that lure and that bait, what started in my sinful heart took root in my mind and played itself out in my life. That's, what, that's the idea of verse 15, that you're now hooked on sin and living a life of disobedience. And then the final step, according to verse 15, is that it ends in death. It may take days, months, years, but the end result of giving in to temptation is death. Now, as soon as we hear that, we think, well, you know, I've fallen into temptation. Like, I've given into temptation. I've bitten down on that before, but I'm still alive. Like, what does he mean? What is he talking about here? James isn't necessarily talking about physical death. It can be, especially if we continue to live a life of disobedience and we're not turning our lives around, living a life obedient to the Lord. If we're going to live a life of disobedience, then we could die separated from God for all of eternity, but it could also mean the death of a relationship. That means a lot to you. It could mean uh, death to your integrity because people can't trust you anymore. There are a lot of things that death can mean in our life because we bite into something we have no business biting into. We might think, well, you know, it's just a little taste. It's just a little flirtation. Maybe you said, well, it's not hurting anybody. It's just on my computer. No one sees it. No one's going to know about it. It's my secret thing. No one will ever know. The reality is we have to take God at his word. Because if we don't take sin seriously, then we don't believe what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. If you bite into that temptation, it leads to death. And that's why James in verse 16 says, do not be deceived. See, we're so easily deceived. We look at this illustration that James gives about the the lure and we go, yeah, fish are really foolish. But we're just like the fish. Right now, there is something that you think that's going to satisfy you. And you're looking at that lure. Whatever that lure is, relationship, status, job, whatever it is. And you're looking at that temptation and you're like, man, I think if I just get that, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be happy. But you're not seeing beyond the bait to the hooks. You're being deceived. I want to encourage you today to go before the Lord and say, God, I understand that that thing, that temptation, that thing that I want so bad, that looks so good, that looks so appetizing, that's everything I need and everything I want, Lord, I know that that thing is not going to satisfy me. I know that that thing is a lie because all temptation is rooted in the lie that something other than God will give you everything you need and will satisfy you. Listen, the enemy can't take away your salvation through temptation. But what the enemy can take away is your assurance of salvation. The enemy can take away any credibility or influence that you might have had for the kingdom of God. 
He definitely can take away any joy that you might have felt from your salvation. And in the eyes of the enemy, he's perfectly okay with that. James is telling us here, we have to consider how all of this is going to end. See, when it comes to temptation and when it comes to sin, when you keep saying yes, 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 yes to this temptation, what's the end result? Where is it going to lead? Maybe one of the most helpful things you could do today is you can get on your notes app, you can get a piece of paper, and you can write down, this is my temptation. If I keep saying yes to this temptation, let me play it out as far as it'll take me. If I never say no, how far will this take me? What do I stand to lose if I never say no? It'd be one of the most helpful and beneficial things you could do today. Here's the last thought that James is telling us. We have to remember who our God is. We have to remember who our God is. See, we just went pretty deep into temptation and sin, but James doesn't want us just sitting in that mindset. There's a truth that he wants us to rest in, that even in the midst of our failure, even though God did not bring us into temptation, he's the one who can deliver us from temptation, bring us out of that temptation. James is going to point us to the hope that we can have in the midst of our temptation. Verse 17 it says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What James is doing here is he's pointing back to the fact that God is good and will always be good. James is telling us that in the midst of temptation, don't be deceived. It's not from God because God is good. In the midst of temptation, fix your eyes on the one who never changes. Fix your eyes on the God who is awesome, perfect, powerful, the grace-giving God, the God who gives perfect gifts to his kids. He's like, his goodness is unchanging. And I love this because he says it's not changing like the shadows. Shadows change, right? Right? but not our God. I mean, how many of us are we thankful today that God never gets in a bad mood? That God never changes for the worst. But here's what's even cooler. God never changes for the better. Why is that cool? Because here's the reality. If you and I, if we change for the better, guess what? That means there was something lacking and deficient in us in the first place. But not so with God. He is infinitely Good. There is never anything lacking or deficient in him. His goodness is unchanging and his goodness is undeserved. That's what verse 18 is reminding us. The truth of the gospel that saved us is the same truth that's going to save us out of our temptation. We have to be committed to the truth of the gospel. And some of you need to start telling yourselves that truth because you've not been hearing it, you've been deceived. Some of you need to finally admit that you're on this path of death. Some of you, what you need to do is just take responsibility. It's my own desires. Listen, you can't get out of something you don't believe that you're in. You need to stop blaming someone or something for your temptation and for your sin. Just as it's important for you to write down how far your sin will take you and what you stand to lose, it's just as important for you to write down and remember the grace that God has given us. My oldest son, Brody, we are starting, he's getting to an age where 
we're starting to kind of leave him at home. You know, he's, he's getting to that age, and it's like, okay, we'll leave him at home for maybe about 15 minutes, you know, see how it goes. Maybe let him watch his brother, see how responsible he is. And, you know, it's getting kind of exciting because it's like, well, now we're going to have like a built-in babysitter, and this is going to be exciting and fun, you know? Been waiting, you know, years for this to happen now. And so it's, it's exciting, and, but we're testing it. And I remember the first time I left Brody home alone, we gave him this little phone and we said, hey, there's ever a moment when somebody is knocking at that door. I said, don't answer it. I don't care if you know who they are. I don't care if it's our neighbors, if it's your friends. I don't care if they're like, hey, UPS, you know, like, I don't care who it is. Do not answer that phone or don't answer that door, but act like you're home alone, you know, like, like just hide somewhere, you know, nobody's home kind of thing. And then pick up that phone and call me. So I know that you're okay. We have a lot of people who will come and knock on our door. We have a lot of their friends who will come and say, hey, can you play and whatever? I'm like, don't do that. Don't answer that door. But call me so I know you're okay. Here's the picture. Every single day, we're getting constant knocks at our doors. Constant knocks for temptation. Constant knocks to go somewhere we have no business going. Constant knocks to be tempted with sin to jump into something that we honestly should not be jumping into and that will lead to death in our lives. Maybe what you need to do is not just open the door and once you hear a knock, just open the door and be like, well, whatever happens, happens. Let me let in my life, whatever temptation and sin there is. Maybe what you need to do is take a lesson from this and you need to go grab your phone, which is prayer, And you need to call out to God. You need to run the opposite way. When you hear that knock, run the opposite way and cry out to God and say, God, this thing right now is tempting me. This thing that I feel like will will satisfy me. That's everything I need, everything I want. God, I'm hearing the knocks right now. And you run and you cry out to your heavenly father, the father of lights. He's a good grace-giving God where every good and perfect gift comes down from. He doesn't change. You don't have to wonder what's on the other side of the door with God. He's got love, grace, mercy for us. And that's what verse 18 is reminding us when it says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. What that means is that he saved you. Don't forget that in the midst of your temptation. James is telling us that God has saved you from your sins. So turn your eyes from the things that are tempting you to the God who can save you out of that temptation. Understanding temptation can take away some of the mystery and some of the power that it holds over us. Because the reality is sometimes we don't see clearly when we're in the midst of temptation. I was excited to share this message with you all this week. And and here's why I was excited to share this message with you. Because I know there are some of you here today And you've been falling into temptation for years. And you're discouraged. I know that there's others of you who've fallen into temptation. You feel guilt and shame because of it. For some of you, you've already given into that temptation. You've fallen into sin. Maybe it was last night. Maybe it was this morning. And I know that there's others of you who have stopped fighting against temptation because you feel like I've lost all hope. But the reason why I was so excited to share this with you all today is because my hope and my prayer has been that God would use his word and he would reveal to us the truths on how to fight temptation, that he would give us hope, that we would see temptation for what it is, 
that we would be reminded that we're not too far gone, that we're not lost, that God can save us, that he does love us, he does care about us, and he has saved us from our sin. James told us that the desire of men brings sin and death. But here's what's cool for the believer. What God's word is telling us is that God will bring salvation. That's the hope for us as we fight temptation. And that hope is in the Lord. Now, if you're an unbeliever here today, this message might be good in some way for you. But the reality is you don't have the same hope. But you can, when you give your life to Jesus, you can fight temptation by asking him into your heart and into your life. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.